Welcome to season two of the Pop-Up Pod, where my guests and I are exploring one big and juicy question. How much money is enough? I'm your host, Nicole Antoinette. I'm self-employed, partnered but not married, child-free by choice, and I've had a somewhat roller coaster history of experiencing up and down class changes throughout my entire life. My parents filed for bankruptcy when I was 14 years old, and I have been obsessed with personal finance ever since. And so the question that we're exploring this season, how much money is enough, it's a question that I think about all the time, and I can't wait to share today's episode with you. This intimate conversation is 100% listener-funded, paid for by my Sliding Scale Patreon community. That means you won't hear any ads or sponsors on the show. It's just me, backed by the support of 400-plus people who have come together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. Our Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod, and if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community at NicoleAntoinette.com slash Patreon. And honestly, I know that I'm biased, but it's just such a fun and easy and supportive and sweet community. Truly my favorite corner of the internet. And like I said, it's run on a sliding scale. So you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you, either as a monthly or an annual payment. You can move up or down the scale as needed over time. There's a lot of flexibility. And you'll get access to lots of fun bonus content and invitations to live gatherings and group discussion threads and the chance to help shape the topics and conversations of future seasons. There's so much stuff that happens over there. So one more time, it's NicoleAntoinette.com slash Patreon. In the meantime, I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, Laren Alta. Laren, whose pronouns are she, her, is a mystic, medicine woman, and spiritual mentor with over 20 years of experience helping people live their soul's purpose. As creatrix of Black Girl Mystic, she leads masterclasses, workshops, retreats, one-on-one intensives, all for creating wealth, ease, and freedom from a place of soul alignment. Laren is one of my absolute favorite people to be in conversation with. This is, I think, the fourth time I've interviewed her over the past five or six years, both on podcasts and also live in person. And the depth, honesty, and richness of what she shares always blows me away. This conversation is no exception. We talk about money and spirituality, manifesting outside of capitalism, and what manifestation even means when it's not being co-opted, you know, by the personal development space. We talk about why Laren unapologetically wants a life of wealth, ease, and luxury. She shares what that actually looks like for her and so much more. I hope that listening to these stories and perspectives makes you feel more liberated and totally fired up about what is possible in your own life. That is certainly how Laren makes me feel. Okay, let's dive in. All right, here we go. Laren, welcome so much to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Always happy to be here with you. I feel like welcome so much is not even a proper sentence, but it is, it's how I feel. Um, Tell me where in the world you are right now. I currently live in Kigali, Rwanda, in the district called Kichikiru, and my neighborhood is called Kagarama. Now, I'm mispronouncing most of those words, but that is technically where I live. 
Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't know if you were mispronouncing them, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. How long have you been there? I moved in February. Okay. Okay. I feel like I'm trying to remember the last time when I saw you, it was in 2018 in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So how does it feel to move somewhere with, I assume, such like a drastically different cost of living and just like a different place overall? How did you decide to move there? Tell me everything. Yes. Well, right after I saw you in Seattle, I uh, went to Mexico. I moved to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then I went from Mexico to Thailand. And then Thailand, uh, I think I went back to the States for a little bit. And then I went back to Mexico. And then the Rona happened. And so then I was like, okay, let me get out of here because if something happens, I don't know how to speak. I don't even know how to say, take me to the hospital. So I went back to the States, but I went back to Seattle in the winter in, and I said, oh no, this is not the life I want to (laughs) live. I don't want to be here. And I've been looking, all that traveling was, I want it to be somewhere that felt like summer year round, that was warm, that was sunny, that the people felt warm, that the, the culture felt warm. And I kept hearing about Rwanda and I was like not paying attention to it because the, my only relationship to it was the, the Tutsi genocide in the, in the early 90s, mid 1994. And I was like, ah, doesn't sound quite like what I'm looking at. And it's inland. And I want it to be by the water and on the water. And then someone I knew who lived in Thailand, we lived at the same time, moved. And I was like, can we just set up a Zoom date? And I asked her, and she, the words that she said to me were, Rwanda is a soft and gentle place. And that sold me because, you know, all of the, the insanity and, and violence and trauma that's happening in the United States and has been happening, I just needed to be somewhere soft and gentle that would be a soft place to land. And part of what kind of makes it a soft and gentle place is that they did come through a genocide, that they know we're not going back there again. We know we're not, we know the value of a human life and we are not going to do that. And that is from the government down. And so I just, I think it's been a good place for me to be just to feel like the government cares about the citizens, that the government is really intentional and it's the cleanest, safest and greenest country in Africa. So all of that are the reasons why I'm here. And, and now I've been thinking recently, well, do I want to go somewhere else next? Like, where's my next place? I don't know. But I'm, I'm here for the time being. That's a strong sales pitch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> right? <laughs> did like really, that- really solid PR for Rwanda. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. I am interested in the money side of I mean, obviously we're talking about money, but of the countries that you just laid out, like definitely lower cost of living significantly than Seattle, right? Or pretty much anywhere in the United States. Did that factor into your decision? How has that changed things for you? Yeah, talk to me about the money part of it. Well, it's interesting because I have a great deal in Seattle. I have a loft apartment that's an artist loft that's like a rent subsidized apartment. So it's like way below market value, like dramatically. So I don't know even what market value would be, but at least three times what I pay. So that gives me a lot of flexibility and leverage. But my apartment in Mexico was on the beach. And I think, I think, I don't remember exactly, I think I paid like 1300 a month. So it was 
theoretically, because it's Mexico, it could be lower, but not because of where I wanted to live on the beach. I wanted to have a nice apartment. And then I now and but it was like a one kind of one bedroom, one bathroom apartment in a six unit building. And then Thailand, I think I paid six fifty for a really nice apartment that included uh, cleaning service. And that was a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment in a nice, really nice building in Chiang Mai. And now in Rwanda, I have a four bedroom, four and a half bathroom new house that I pay a thousand dollars a month for. So it's not dirt cheap because I think people think, oh, Africa, you pay $50 a month, which you could. I'm sure there are places here for $50 a month. But for the house, a thousand dollars, it's pretty it's a pretty good deal. But you get you just get more for your money. So Mm -hmm. I'm paying more for my house in Rwanda than I did in Mexico, but I'm getting way more house. No, no, I'm paying mm-hmm. less and I'm getting way more house. Yeah. So it, it was, I, I mean, I looked at houses that were more, I looked at houses that were less, and this was just a, a happy medium here. Yeah. Do you still have your place in Seattle? I do. You do? I do. Yes. It's my goal to have homes in multiple area codes. So even if I left Rwanda, I think I would still keep the house here so that I could come when I want to be here. I'm keeping my place in Seattle for sure. I'm going to keep that until, until because it's such a good until deal. Until it's not like rent a, subsidized anymore. Yeah, until they exactly. try to take it away from you. Yeah, But they won't because it's not government subsidized. It's like some people, because it's an artist building, some really rich people who want to support artists just got together and were like, we're just going to fund this indefinitely. So like the government, it can't, they can't take it away. So I'll, I'll be there until I decide to move on. But where I started thinking about last night, I can't believe I'm thinking about, literally, I can't believe this, Nicole. I can't believe, but I'm like, do I want to move to Houston? I don't know. We, I don't know. There's lots of things, but so I haven't, I started looking at the cost of living just to see kind of what the, the variables were, would be. I, I don't know. We'll see. That's a possibility. We'll say when your cost of living changes, does it impact how much money you feel like you need to make or are your earnings goals consistent regardless? Oh, that's a great question. My earning goals are consistent regardless, but my earning goals are also high Mm -hmm. because I like to have a cushion. I really, it stresses me out to, to not have enough or feel like I'm close to not having enough. And I like to have way more than I need because I like to be able to live in the overflow and the abundance of it and not in the like hand to mouth. And I'm very familiar with living in the hand to mouth and I don't ever want to go back there again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The correlation between cost of living and earnings goals is interesting. It's something that I've been thinking about. So I'm living in Massachusetts now. And I mean, the reason that I'm here, this is where my partner's from and the house that we are living in, his dad owns and has owned for generations. And so there's no mortgage, there's no rent. All we're doing is paying utilities. So basically it's, you know, my proximity to someone else's generational wealth, right? And which is a huge privilege that I'm so grateful for. And yet I've started thinking of the reality of the fact that I have housing only as long as I'm in this relationship, which I'm, I'm thinking of it as a long-term relationship, right? Like that's, I'm not, I'm not in the relationship for housing. Let's be very clear about that. But, you know, when I look at this question of how much money is enough, I am absolutely earning enough right now. But if tomorrow I had to pay for housing on my own and pay f- and not have a partner to split utilities with and groceries and all of those kinds of things, then 
I would not be earning enough. And so I'm thinking about changing my enough number so that I am earning enough that if I had to pay for housing on my own, that that wouldn't feel like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I totally understand. When I was in my, I guess, early 30s, I was in a relationship, like a five-year relationship. And we both knew that the relationship had run its course, like it had taken its toll, uh, taken its turn. But I didn't have what I call fuck you money. I couldn't just leave. My partner at the time was paying for the, the, um, where we were, the, the condo and took care of most of the major financial responsibilities. And I was working retail, building my business. And so I didn't, I did not have any money to just go. And so I ended up staying in the relationship longer, staying in the condo longer. And when I finally was able to move, it's because my mother helped me move. And I was in my mid thirties. And so that was kind of my never again moment. Like I'm like, never again will I be financially responsible, reliant on anybody. Like I don't want to have to be, even if it is a a marriage or a partnership or whatever, like I don't, I want to be able to, if I need to leave, leave. Or if I want to go on vacation, go on vacation or whatever I want to do, I don't want to have to be reliant on anybody else. That was a very unpleasant corner to be in. Yeah. No, I I can imagine. I I mean, my Parents probably would have gotten divorced a long time ago if they had the money to you know, support two livelihoods. And it was something I thought about a lot in getting divorced back in 2019 from someone who was an incredibly high earner of like, I did have a moment of, I am choosing a financially harder path. And also for me, that was not a reason to stay in the relationship, you know? And yeah. Ooh, okay. So I have so many questions for you. I guess, okay, let's start here. Let's do it. Tell me something that has felt great about money for you so far this year. Like what money-related thing can I celebrate with you to get us started? This is my favorite money memory of all time. Okay, let's go on a journey. Let's go on it literally and metaphorically. Let's go on a journey. I'm going to give you a little backstory and then I'll tell you the, the, the 22 version. So when I was in the eighth grade, I went abroad for the first time with my eighth grade French class. We went to Fr- Paris and Nantes, and this was 1994, 1993 or 1994. And me being me, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to sneak up to first class because that's where I want to be. And so I did. I snuck up to first class somewhere over the ocean, <laughs> and I s- settled in. And this was, I remember, this is like way back in the day because the person I settled in next to was smoking a cigarette. You could still smoke on airplanes. And I was like, oh, this is the life. This, this is how I like to live. This, this, is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so from then until not 9-11, quite frankly, I would just like sneak up into first class and like, because you, and then you had to find the right timing. You had to find it while people were still loading, but you couldn't do it too late because then they would count, they were checking off people who were supposed to be in their seats, but you couldn't do it too early because then the people were, you might be in someone else's seat and then it would cause a scene. So I found out my perfect timing until 9-11 shut it down because they were being, you know, much more regulated as they should be. So fast forward to, which was magnificent. Fast forward to 2022, I started flying first class everywhere, paying for it myself, Paying for it myself. So, so flying 
I came and visited. I went to Zanzibar initially in December. I was living in Atlanta for just a few months over the summer last summer. So I flew from Seattle to Atlanta first class, Atlanta to LA first class, LA to Zanzibar first class, Zanzibar to Rwanda. Then I was here. Then I flew back to the States first class. And then I flew back from the States to Rwanda to move first class. And when I first settled in that seat from LA to Zanzibar, I literally started crying because I was like, I did this. I did this. Like I planted that little 14 year old seed when I snuck up and I did this myself. I paid for it myself. I, I am here. And it was such a, a like full circle moment. It really was. And I love being really nice customer service. I love like luxury and, and wonderful treatment. And so, you know, like you, the food is delicious and you get this like extensive menu and the bed lays down and the door closes. And they, when I went, got up and went to the bathroom, the stewardess or the hostess said, uh, can, would you like me to make your bed? Yes, I would. I would love for you to make my bed. Thank you. So that is like my... 2022, 2021 highlight, money highlight. And it was because the first time I did it, I was like, it was my thing, my first ticket, my first international first class ticket was like $3,500. And I was like, was this worth it? I didn't know. Even up until sitting in the seat, I was like, was this worth it? I don't know. This was $3,500. But when she closed the door, Nicole, when she closed the door, my nervous system just, just dropped I felt so soothed and I was like, hands, hands down, this is worth it. Because especially in COVID times, I just needed my privacy. I needed that space. It was worth it. And I will do it again and again and again. I'm obsessed with this story. I would like you to know, I will never not hold the vision of you at 14 years old sneaking into first. I just imagine you like creeping up there, but then like totally acting like you belong, right? Like, and absolutely, that's that's exactly it. That's a ballsy thing for a 14 year old to do. Like, I don't know what I was doing at 14, but it definitely wasn't having the wherewithal to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sneak up to first. Oh my God, stop. You're iconic. (laughs) And the thing is, it it literally, I don't know, I don't remember talking about it with my classmates. I don't remember. But when I posted something else, and I don't even remember what the post was on my Facebook, one of my classmates, who I'm still Facebook friends with to this day, and this is in this era, so this is like in 2022, said, that reminds me of when you snuck into first class on our trip. And I was like, I didn't even know anyone noticed. I didn't even know anyone remembered that moment. So thank you for saying that. that I, I was just... Being Laren. <laughs> oh, it's so great. This makes me think, you know, when you mentioned having that moment of pause of this $3,500, is it worth it? Something that I struggle with a lot, not just money related, but time as well is, and I'm trying to unlearn this, that like feeling of needing to maximize like the joy from something or like, did I have enough fun on this vacation? Right. Or uh, like, I feel like even if I had the disposable income to spend $3,500 comfortably on a first-class plane ticket, which I do not currently. But if I did, like, I can't imagine what would have to be true in my life for me to not be anxious about, am I am I enjoying this enough? Like, there's a particular kind of, I, I in my head, I call it vacation anxiety of, you know, I took this day off. At, is it restful enough, right? And I mean, this is something I'm definitely talking about with my therapist, so I'm not expecting you to be my therapist. But is that something that, you just don't 
have come up for you? Is it something that you've worked through? It's not something I deal with at all. I really love luxury and I love leisure and I love being supported. So for me, even when I was in Zanzibar, I would just sleep in, like tumble into the restaurant for breakfast. Like I don't have a very, I'm not, I, the less I have on my calendar, the better I feel. So like if the least I have to do, the better. And the more support I have, the better I feel. So even in Rwanda, thank the Lord for Lydia. And I'm Lydia is the godson of my life. She's been with me since the day I moved into this house. She comes to me, my house six days a week, cleans my house from top to bottom, every, six days a week, goes to the market, cooks me three meals a day from scratch, walks my dog, washes my dog six days a week. And that to me is like exactly how I want to live my life. I love, because then I can, I hate, I'm not domestic. I hate cooking. I like to eat but I am not a good cook. So like now, if I wanted this life in Houston or Seattle, it would be a lot more expensive to have that kind of support. So I think it also, when we talk about cost of living, it also is helpful that I'm somewhere where I can afford to pay a person her top rate. Like I don't believe in negotiating people for their rate. So I paid her exactly what she asked for and, and I get really wonderful support. So Yes, I love that. Great. Are you available for leisure coaching? Can you teach me? How to- <laughs> we can talk about that off air. Um, okay, so okay. I've heard you talk, you know, about your desire for an abundant life in other places, whether it's like on your podcast or writing and stuff, and this idea of a life of wealth, ease, luxury, and freedom, and you just kind of spoke to some of those things. And I would actually really like to break down each of those words because I think that, you know, we hear wealth, we hear luxury. That means different things to different people. Ease means different things. Freedom means different things. And part of what I'm trying to do on this podcast is have people be specific and so maybe we can start with, you know, if that feels true that you want a life of wealth, ease, luxury, and freedom, what does being wealthy mean to you? Like, what does that look like? Obviously, you've just shared a couple of things, but is it a dollar amount? Is it an emotional experience? Both, for sure. For me, wealth means, if I'm going to do like the broad strokes, it means having all of my resource needs met. So emotionally, energetically, uh, and financially, and time-wise, having all of my needs met. So, um, and there, and, and I do want to be a multimillionaire. I want to have my money making money for me and not have to work at all. Like that is that is, and that has been a goal for for me since childhood. Like young, and I grew up in a very class stable family. I grew up with with a, a lot of. Um, my mother would contest that I would say upper middle class, that is like so not how she would ever describe herself, but it's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. And so I was like, I like this and I really want it long. Like I really want long money and I want it to grow for itself and I don't want to have to work. So to me, that's what wealth is. And I think it's, I, and I, for me personally, I want that to be transferable. In other words, I want to be able to spend a month in Paris without having to look at my bank account, just spending euros or, or pesos in Mexico. Like I don't want to have to, I want it to be not bound to one specific geographic location. Mm-hmm. I want really, that's what wealth means to me that like, and that's not necessarily, so the multimillion is based on kind of my personal desires, but I don't think you have to have multimillions to be wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk about some of the other words? Like what is an 
easeful day feel like for you or look like for you? What, where does luxury come into play? What kind of freedom do you want? Anything about those words that you want to speak to? Yeah. I'm like, I love this picture oh, that yeah. you're painting. I feel like, honestly, this is already permission <laughs> giving for me. I'm like, this is great. I'm into it. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So ease for me is really an internal conversation. It's, it, I, I mean, I don't use an alarm clock. I have a very easeful day. Like the structure of my day is very easy, but I think it's really easy because I allow it to be easy. I'm not in a hurry. I don't beat myself up for things. Like I allow myself to take whatever time I need. It's about really my relationship to time and flow. Like there's no urgency. There's no, um, yeah, there's no urgency. I can just be in the ease of it and the pleasure of it and allow that to be good enough. Um, leisure. Did you say luxury or leisure? Well, I mean, luxury, luxury but either. Yeah. So I'm not doing this currently because I had a falling out with a Marriott, but my house, despite it being four, four and a half bathrooms, does not have a bathtub. And so once a month, I would treat myself to a weekend at the Marriott, which is the, the, the fanciest hotel in Kigali in, in Rwanda. So to me, that's luxury. Like, really allow, giving yourself permission to meet your needs. Like what, for me, I lo, I, I'm inland, right? So I don't see an ocean. I don't see a wall. I don't see a coastline. There's no water. And I not to have a bathtub as someone who's like really loves water, giving myself permission to go and spend the weekend at the Marriott and order room service and have breakfast, you know, like all of that is like luxury for me that it's like that first class flights all of that I don't really care about brand names that's not really because I feel like I'm giving promoting someone else's business I don't care about Gucci but if I'm gonna give myself what I want oh another thing that's luxury like I go weekly and I get a two-hour massage and now I have someone come to my house to come instead of going to the spa so like those kinds of things are really about what I love how I love to be taken care of, how I love to be met. And, and, and I think, you know, it's different for everybody, right? Some people may, may be going fishing or something, something else. But for me, it's very visceral. It's very body oriented. It's food. It's deliciousness. It's uh, self-care. It's massage. It's baths. It's those kinds of things. And it's first class flights. It's nice hotels. It's even when I was living in Seattle in the, the Panini Press, I would go to, because I had a bathtub in my place in Seattle, but I wanted a deep soaking tub. So I would go to a fancy hotel in Seattle and rent it for the weekend. And so I imagine as I continue to grow my money, that it'll continue to be, that will be the, the tone of it. I mean, maybe I'll spend money at like designer clothes, because I think that's what people think of when they think of luxury. But I could really like experiences. I really like luxury experiences. I like feeling taken care of. I like feeling like the people who are working are really paying attention to the work, mm -hmm. which is why I had the falling out with the Marriott. But anyway, anyway. another story. Right. Right. Just throw them <laughs> under the bus. Um, I also love taking baths very much and do not that we have like a bath shower combo here, but it's a really shallow, small bathtub. So it's not a bathtub that's really soakable. This idea of going to a hotel for a weekend to take a bath is immediately going onto my bucket list. Uh, yes. There's a, an Airbnb that was 
not even an hour away that, uh, before my partner and I moved into this place, we were living with his dad. And so we were living with his dad during like the depth of the pandemic, right? We had no alone time. We're like, let's just get an Airbnb for, you know, let's go on a sexcation for a couple days. Yes. And so we went to this place for that purpose that happened to have the best bathtub I have ever seen or been in in my entire, like I still think fondly about it. Yes. And I would have never thought I could actually go there alone just for the bathtub. It really wasn't that expensive. So I just feel like that what you are laying out is, or how I'm interpreting what you're laying out is this really shame-free approach to want, like letting yourself want what it is that you want. Like it might seem so silly to someone else to do something based around a bathtub, but if you're really in touch with what it is that makes you feel cared for and joyful and the way that you want to feel, it actually doesn't matter if that thing seems silly. And it doesn't matter if it's not something that someone else would want, because I'm sure what would feel really good for someone else wouldn't feel good for me, but that's not my business. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, what you just said is freedom. That is freedom. Doing what you want, doing what you want. That's it. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, exactly. Even when I came back from, when I, when I came back to Seattle from having been in, in Georgia for five months and I came back to my apartment and I walked in and I was like, who did, did someone ransack the place? And I was like, oh no, Laren, you left it like this. This is what happened when you packed in a hurry. It just looked a mess. So I just rented another Airbnb. I was like, I have to recalibrate. And I rented an Airbnb to soak, to relax, to get all my mail, to like have a calming because I had left it in such a state of chaos that I couldn't relax. To me, that's freedom. Like I don't, it doesn't have to be tit for tat. Like it's really like I can be expansive in my life. Like what do I, how do I want to experience this moment? And then giving myself permission to do that. Yeah. Oh, so you mentioned, it sounds like you were well-resourced growing up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm interested um, sort of in the timeline of that, because then it sounds like there, you know, when, when you mentioned being in that past relationship that you felt like you couldn't leave because you didn't have the fuck you money. So it sounds like maybe it wasn't, you weren't always as consistently resourced. I'm also interested in, was there a pivotal time along the way where you got family financial support? Or will you talk about kind of the, the behind the scenes a little bit? And I ask this because I recently did um, a little poll in my Instagram stories of, you know, what's the one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about when it comes to money? And leaps and bounds, the most popular answer was whether, essentially whether people have like secret money, like whether they Ooh. have, you know, either generational wealth or they've gotten family support. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it if you have it and don't talk about it, it makes other people feel like, oh, what am I doing? wrong. You get what I'm saying. This is such a deep rabbit hole that I'm excited to dive into with you because it's complicated. And I think being a black American person who's the descendant of enslaved and free Africans, generational wealth is different. It's not the same, right? So yes, let's go there because this is juicy. And I've never talked about this deeply with people because no one asks, but I want to talk about it. So as I mentioned earlier, my mother would, would like totally dis deny the idea of growing, that I grew up upper middle class. Like it, it, it's kind of a shame around it. She has like a shame because it's, it's like um, she doesn't feel like that's true, but it is true. My mother is an entrepreneur and has been. Um, and before that, she was a, the director of staff training and development at the University of Washington. She's very successful. And beyond being very successful, she's brilliant at money. She is Brilliant. Now, so which means I grew up in a house that, that um, my parents divorced when I was two. She got the house. 
She owned the house. We moved when I was 15. She had a 30-year mortgage, paid it off in full in 15 years. Like my mother is, is a, a beast at money. And it's like probably the house, I, I'm, it's worth over half a million now. I'm not sure what the, the Seattle prices. It may be even close, closer to a million. Who knows? I don't know. But it's a very nice house that we moved in, in uh, brand new. She paid for private school for me and my sister out of pocket. Like uh, we paid, she paid for skiing. Everything we needed, we had the financial stability to do. And she, my, my mother made the money. My parents, my father paid child support, but that was it, right? Like my, so my, this is all coming from my mother's income. My mother paid for my college out of pocket. I had no scholarship, no FAFSA, no financial aid, nothing. Which really, the private school, yes, was a great education, but it was also the exposure to what wealth really looks like. Because my classmates, one of my schoolmates, her grandfather started Japanese Nintendo. Her father started American Nintendo. The Nordstroms went to my school. Bill Gates and Paul Allen went to my school. Like, that kind of rich. Not like, you know, like, that's generational wealth. You know, like, Boeing yep. presidents are, are, you know, founders and all that kind of stuff. All those. So my little mom's paltry money was pennies compared to what they had. But my mother also, my grandmother owned her house and my great-grandparents owned, owned their house and the land. My, my great-grandfather had 160 acres of land in Texas. And my mother, grandparents, my, my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents all had undergraduate degrees and graduate degrees, which is another form of wealth, right? So my great-grandfather was born two years after enslavement ended, and ended up with two undergraduate degrees and two master's degrees. And my great-grandmother had a master's degree. So it, it didn't look like owning factories, right? But it looked like this is how we get free. This is how we create class stability. This is how we build legacy for the future. So by the time I got to college and then into this relationship, my mother was, her mantra was, you need to get off my paycheck, which had, which had been her mantra for a long time. And so this is why I was working retail and not asking her for money because it wasn't a funding of my life kind of money. It was a like, I'm going to get you this far. Now it's your job to take it and run. But I didn't want to go to traditional work, you know, pre-law, pre-med, corporate America. I didn't want to do those things that were going to guarantee me money. And so it has taken me a while to figure out how to make my own money and not be reliant on my mother. And because I have really shifted my dynamic with my mother uh, over the last few years, I have intentionally not taken any money from her and not asked for any money and not received any money, even though, um, because quiet as it's kept, it has come with a lot of strings attached. It wasn't just here's the money it, with a lot of strings, a lot of expectations and what they, you know, call golden handcuffs. Do you still feel even like in the very, very back of your mind, some set sense of comfort that there's like a safety net to fall back on? I don't, I don't because it's not mine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not mine. Like I'm not in communication with my mother. That, which is a choice on my part, um, on my, my end. And that's what I mean by it has had strings attached. So if I come back into the, the conversation, that it still has, currency is the communication in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So for you and the wealth that you're building, the wealth dreams that you have, it sounds like it's predominantly from earnings that you absolutely. Are oh, yeah. But I but I want to be clear because I think this is this is I would not have this relationship to money had I not had the exposure to wealth that I did. Which is why it's nuanced, right? It's easy it's easy to think that like family financial support just means, you know, does your grandfather cut you a check, right? Or right. whatever. But it has so much to do with what you are exposed to and what that changes for you. A hundred thousand percent. You know, a lot of people, because I'm from Seattle, right? Which is not a very black city at all, especially now, but it was blacker when I grew up. But my mother being from rural Texas was very, very, and growing up in a a very pro-Black community, was very intentional about the way she raised me and my sister. And so we grew up in in a community of my primary care doctor was a Black woman. My dentist was a Black man. My, our, our, um, accountant was a Black man. Our lawyer was a Black man. Our, you know, so like, everybody I saw doing things that would generate money and generate wealth were, were Black people. And so I didn't have this hang-up around, oh, being Black means I can't have money or I can't do this or I can't do that or only white people have money. It, it was really like, no, you can do this, but I didn't. And because my mother was also an entrepreneur, I knew I could do it my own way. So it was absolutely exposure, a hundred, a hundred percent. There's like something coming up for me that I don't really know how to articulate, but I'm going to try. I feel like the like racial aspect of wealth is, I mean, it's so present. Like I, I feel differently about you creating wealth and luxury for yourself than I do about white people like me doing the same, which doesn't mean that I want to suffer or martyr myself or anything like that. But I just feel so differently about white wealth accumulation, given like it's deeply problematic, fucked up history than I feel about, you know, black wealth accumulation, indigenous wealth accumulation. And I don't know that I have a question in that, but it's, there's something there for me that I, I feel differently about who not not who has access to resource? I want everyone to be well resourced. I, like that, you know. In my mind, liberation is every single person is exactly as well resourced as they need to be. But like, there is something to this. I think absolutely. I mean, because it is different. It is different. Even if someone moves to the United States from Bulgaria tomorrow, right, and they don't have any generational wealth they, in this country, in that country they come into a legacy of white wealth, right? Like it's, it's so it is different. It, it's very, even if someone comes in from Nigeria to the United States, they come into a different context and a different conversation. So it, it, it is different. It is um, nuanced. It's layered. It's complex. It's complicated. It's challenging because there is this sense of who do you think you are, unless that's your cultural framework, right? Unless that's normal for you, then it is like, and this is why I'm saying, like, even my mother to, to like shun the idea of being upper middle class. It's like, you know, no, because it's like a separation. Like it, it's, even though her friends are judges and lawyers and, you know, professionals who make lots of money and have big fancy houses and are, you know, it's still this, like, you don't want to be separate from, you still want to be part of and belong to. And especially you don't want to be separate from where you came from in a way, mm-hmm. you know, if that's, if that's not how she grew up or like that, that all of this conversation about money is always about so much more than money. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I remember when I was, um, 
still building the business. And I was so stressed because I had no money. And when I, I'm a very literal person. So when I say no money, I don't mean secret money. Like you're like you mentioned, I don't mean like it's hidden away. I mean like no money. And I went in and I was talking to my mother and I was so stressed out and like almost on the verge of tears. And she said, I understand. Now my mother's a little narcissistic and self-absorbed. So let's just put that out there. Okay. So she said, I understand when I divorced your father, I didn't have any money either. And I was like, not the same. You owned a home, you had a master's degree, you had a salaried job at the university as the director of an entire department. So even if you, because there was a moment after the divorce that she couldn't buy milk, which was like her story. I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't want to ask your grandmother for money to buy milk. I couldn't even buy the milk. But, but you knew that your paycheck was coming in a week or two or whenever. So even if that's the case, we are not the same. That's not the, that's not what I'm talking about. And she couldn't, she couldn't hear that. Like it was very Mm -hmm. triggering for her. So there is a conversation that needs to have about like reality. What, what, what is, what are the numbers we're actually dealing with and not Mm -hmm. just, um, because it does, there is something of like, it feels like I don't have any money and that's relative, right? Like that, for some people, that mean, mean I have a million dollars in the bank and that feels like nothing to me. And for some people are like, I have 10 cents in the bank and that literally is nothing to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember a, a stat that uh, my business coach shared about, it was, some, I, I, it was some study that was done of the, you know, do you feel like you have enough money? And it was, I mean, this was asking like, in, like incredibly wealthy people, right? And that it was, the answer was pretty much across the board, no, and how much would feel like enough. And no matter how much money they had, it was 20% more is like what they oh, said wow. would feel like enough. And like, I think, I think that's interesting too. And yeah, like all of this, the idea of enoughness, it's, it's rooted in like how money is related to safety or self-worth or like you said, ease or freedom. And it's yes, it's about the actual dollar amounts, but it's about so much more than that too. Yeah, because capitalism bastardizes money, bastardizes money, right? Like capitalism just makes shit up. It's not actually like pre-capitalism. It was much easier to feel abundant. I'm imagining because if you wanted a mango, you go get the mango off the tree. If there, it wasn't this. This capitalism is based in scarcity, right? It's based in this idea of not enoughness. It's based in this uh, idea of like, there's only a certain amount. And so when we buy into this idea of capitalism, we're always chasing that extra 20%. Like there's no way in the world that Jeff Bezos, whose children go to my school, my alma mater, <laughs> there's no, needs to have this much money as he has. Like there's, there's, no, there's no way, because even if he does, Amazon should not have the working conditions that it has, right? Like there's things that don't add up, that don't make sense. Like there's no way. No, I mean, there, there is no one in the world who could convince me that there is a way to ethically amass the wealth that Jeff Bezos has. It's not like you cannot do that without deep exploitation of land and people and resources. Like it's not possible. Exactly. Which is what he's doing, which is what he's doing. It would be, I would feel different about him if Amazon was a great place to work, right? Like if, if the companies weren't exploited, if the employees were f- happy to be there, if they could take pee breaks, if like, like if that, then we're having a different conversation. But at what cost? Yeah, I, I feel like this is an interesting segue point. I really want to ask you to tell me about your relationship or the relationship between your spirituality and your money. Because I think 
there's like something, there's, there's almost something that you're like not saying yet that I would love for you to say. For me, God is money. And I don't mean that God is money. I mean that God is everything. God is joy. God is abundance. God is prosperity. God is wealth. God is ease. God is freedom. Creation. God is all that is. And I say God, so if, if some of your listeners are like triggered by that, fill in the blank with whatever word that resonates. I just like saying God, that resonates with me. So to me, all that is includes all that is. Thousands of years ago, it was cowrie shells and beads we were bartering for lamb and carrots, right? Like it, it, it doesn't matter. It's all that is. And so for me, when I can tap into and be in alignment with that, with my creator, with God, with source, with, with that, then I, it's so much easier for the valve of abundance to be just flowing, for me to receive it because it's always flowing. When I start trying to barter or bargain or uh, convince or, or coerce a higher power that I'm worthy of what I want, it, it knocks everything out because that's actually not abundance. That's actually still perpetuating lack, limitation, scarcity. So it's a, it's a big leap of faith, especially when money feels like it's not coming in or, or not showing up. But my highest paying clients have come without me trying to uh, apply or interview or even knowing they're in my world. They just showed up. And that is abundance to me. That is flow. When I'm, when I'm having to market or sell and it comes from a place of like grabby, like I need this money, I, it, that feels more suffocating and stifling to me than just trusting that the right people will show up in my world. But that's all about being in a devotional practice that's like surrendered, that's surrendered to God, surrendered to the divine, surrendered to source, and being in the flow of what I know is my, high, my highest and best good. I don't know if this is a question that you can answer because it might just be trying to explain the like unexplainable, but when you say a devotional practice of surrender, what does that actually mean? And very oh. much a selfish question because I'm like, teach me. <laughs> <laughs> it's... While part of it is, the biggest part is knowing that I don't know and knowing that something bigger than me does and that I don't have to know, that I don't have to be in charge, I don't have to control it, that I can really just surrender. And I, I know I'm, it's like my mom used to say, you can't answer a question with the question, with the same word. So, <laughs> so for me, it's like trusting the process it's a leap of faith, mm -hmm. right? It's not something that happens intellectually. It really is a leap. It is a surrender because I don't know. I don't know where my next client is coming from. Like I spent, I just launched Black Girl Mystic um, in July 29th or June 29th. And I spent the last over a year building it, building it out, working photo shoots, copyright, building the website, all this stuff. I haven't worked with a client. I just had a, launched a masterclass last week, just did it like a 90-minute masterclass, the first Black Girl Mr. Max of their class. Where, who, who wants this? I don't know. <laughs> Who's signing up to work with me? I don't know. This has all been a devotional practice. And it doesn't mean it's been easy. There have been times when I'm like, for real? Like, 
I'm being obedient because this is what I felt called to do. This is what I felt like this is what I have been asked to do by the divine. Where the money is coming from next, I don't know. And if I lean on the fear of that, because like I said earlier, I like knowing where money is coming from. I like having money coming in all the time. I love daily sales, you know, like that gives me comfort and support and helps me feel safe. So I'm in this place now, now that I've actually officially launched of trying to be in alignment, staying in alignment in the flow and also being strategic about like, what am I saying? Who am I saying this to? How am I speaking? And so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's, it's, it's kind of messy and, and jumbled, but yeah. it's not clean cut. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't think that there is like a capital A answer. I was just curious to hear you talk about your process. I want to go. So you said before when you, um, in that conversation with your mom, starting your business, you had no money, right? And I'm curious, there's like an intersection that's coming up for me in the kind of surrender, the leap of faith, trusting that it's going to work out, but like the practical reality of I don't have the money. And then also the like $3,500 first class ticket. Like there's something interesting in here that it's like, I want to ask the practical question of how did you do that? Right? Like, how did you make that happen? Um, Did you make the decision to take on debt to start the business or, you know, like take me to that? I don't have any money. I have this idea. I want to do this thing. How were your financial needs being met at that time? And like, how did that feel? Great. So I do not believe in debt. Debt stresses me out. So I'm like, everything I pay for, I just have the money. Or if I don't have the money, I don't pay for it. But when I, so in summer of 2020, uh, the, in the wake of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's murders, I was like, nope, I'm, I don't want to have these conversations anymore. Like I need to shut it all down. That's the, that's the, the message I got from God, like shut it all down. And that's, so I did. And that the first thing I started out of that was a black girl mystic podcast because I wanted to center black women, femme, and non-binary voices around their spiritual journeys. And so when you say shut it all down, you mean shut down like previous iterations of your online business. Exactly. Okay. Shut down courses and shut down my one-on-one work. Okay. I was like, yeah, so, I am not so this business, business iteration is new, but obviously you have a long you have a long history of various forms of self-employment. Yes, exactly. Okay. So I shut it down. And because I didn't have the emotional capacity, I was like, I, these people are getting murdered. I I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk. So, but I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know where my money was coming from. But if nothing else, I am obedient. So I shut it down. This, I shut it down in the summer, maybe June, July. And I think in October, someone I knew from Seattle who I'd never worked with, who had recommended me for other work, uh, was working as a, in some capacity at a, nonprofit somewhere, not even in C. I don't know where they were. I don't know what they were doing. Um, but they referred me to do um, organizational development work, healing justice work with this nonprofit. I didn't interview. I didn't apply. And it ended up being an, an incredible contract that paid me very well for uh, a, a full year so that I could focus on building Black Girl Mystic and get my, my money. And so that's also what I mean by faith. That's also what I mean, like just trusting that it comes and it does come because it has come. Like that's just, and so that's how I've been able to live because I had a client who allowed me to do my work, but in a very uh, contained environment and then I could focus on building Black Girl Mystic while I was doing that without having to make money from it. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful to know. And also what you said about like trusting that it's going to come, but it might not come from the place that you think. Like we we can't always like pull the puppet strings that, you know, this is exactly the, where the money is going to come from. That's I see that in the surrender as well, almost like an opening up. Like these are my needs. This is these are my desires. This is what I want to be met. And I'm open to the fact that I actually don't know the where it's going to come from. A hundred percent, because it's like there are infinite possibilities. So for me to think it has to come in this little format, in this little structure, in this little way is limiting God, right? Like, and God's unlimited. So let me not do that. Let me just sit back. But sometimes it can, it, it gets a little too close for comfort. I'm like, okay, we're on the edge of glory here. Now I, let's get some money coming in. Let's have some income coming in. But it is the trust. It is the, the, the surrender because I'm, I, can't live a small life. I feel suffocated if I'm living a small life or a life that doesn't feel like me. So mm-hmm. I have to keep, so in other words, I got the best website designers that I wanted. I got the best photographers. I hired a stat, like I invested in building the brand, not knowing who my clients were going to be. Not, no, there was nobody like, other than God being like, make this. <laughs> no one, this, this was my calling. Yeah. And I mean, as I DM'd you about, like, the website's so beautiful. And, like, the photos, I was like, oh, man, like, to ha- the photo shoot just looked fun. Like, it looked like you were having a good time and were really centered. And, yeah, so great job. You did what you set out to do. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you while we're kind of in this, like, spirituality and money, I'm interested in, in two things. Um, the first is it's interesting to hear you talk about your relationship with like God, source, spirituality, money as this really expansive thing. Because I have heard from other folks, and maybe this is people with like kind of re- more like religious conditioning trauma in their upbringing of that, like the that sort of more, um, it's not actually a spiritual belief, but like what's sold as a spiritual belief that like money is bad and like having fewer needs is a more moral way to live. Like I think that there's another another experience that people have had when it comes to thinking about that that intersection of spirituality and money. And so I guess what I want to ask is like, what would you say to people who are holding that belief or who are struggling to like move on from that belief that money is somehow bad? Hmm. It's a it's a it's a deeply rooted conversation. So I don't know that I can provide like a short quip. And that's not my experience. Like I don't have that that um, I don't have church hurt around that. And I don't have it around money. Like the only messaging I really got around money and church was to tithe, which I still tithe. Um, So there's a lot to say. (laughs) There's a lot, but it's hard to distill. I think my first thing would be just to invite them to, if they're willing to revisit the relationship, if they're willing to think about it in a different way. And if they are, then we can have a different conversation and have like a deeper context around it. Mm-hmm. But because some people are so hurt and have so much trauma around it that they don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, right? It's like, I don't want to, no, right? But if it's like, yes, then I, because for me, I would encourage them to look at different ways that the divine is experienced across cultures, across nations, across the world, because that is not everyone's relationship to it. Like, and to redefine abundance, to redefine wealth, to redefine abu- uh, prosperity, to, to, to like create your own definitions of it. 
Because you, whoever you are, listener, who may feel this way, have a direct, um, there's a gospel song that says, Jesus is on the main line, tell him what you want. And it doesn't have to be Jesus, but it can be anything. Like you have a main line phone connection to all that is because you are an expression of that. We are all unique emanations of all that is, of the creator. So if you are willing to say, let me just like open up even a little bit to say, source, talk to me. Like, how can I see abundance differently? And maybe that's in like the sand in the, on a beach or the leaves on a tree or like air, like birds, something. Like, how can you start to see that capitalism got us fucked up? You know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. capitalism is what started to warp that relationship. And bringing those two, capitalism and God together, because they're actually the capitalism is based in scarcity. God is based in ex, infinite expansion. So they actually don't work together. Yeah, that that's that's so beautifully said. And also, like what I just felt is like we can't ignore the fact that we do live under capitalism. So like pretending that we don't is not that's not useful. But it's like. I believe in everyone's ability to really hold the nuance of the both and that like I can figure out how to kind of survive and thrive in the day-to-day capitalist, you know, situation that we're in and also hold an infinite God belief or, you know, like you said, whatever other word you want to put in there that I don't know that they have to be mutually exclusive because I think that I think it would be really easy and maybe my former self would have done this to be like a little bit eye-rolly about like, okay, sure, like God's infinite, but like practically I have to pay rent or practically, you know, those kind of things. And I, I don't... I have since come to think they can exist together. Absolutely. They can and they do. That's the thing. They, and, and this is where it, that leap of faith comes in because it takes some faith. And that doesn't take because miracles are happening all the time. Miracles are happening all the time. But if we're not attuned to it, we're not available for it. So I'll give you an example. When I was moving from uh, Georgia, my summer in Georgia, back to Seattle, I have my iMac, which is what we're talking on right now. And I s- had it all bubble wrapped and shipped and all the things in FedEx, and I had it insured. FedEx lost it. Nowhere to be found. Just MIA. The time had come and gone for, for when it was supposed to have been delivered. I reported it lost. Uh, long story short, it finally appeared, like the day before I was going to move to Rwanda. You know what appeared after I, after, uh, I left? a $1,700 check. So I have my computer and a $1,700 check from FedEx. That's what I mean by miraculous. Like, I'm not a very good capitalist. I guess I want to be wealthy, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not good at, like, navigating the systems. I believe in the miraculous, which, which is bigger than the systems. And so by that, I mean, I did my part. I had the padding. I had it insured. I called. I reported it missing. I didn't just say... FedEx is going to discover it and send me a miraculous check. No, I did my job. And then I went on my plane and I, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. And the check still came. That's not me. That wasn't me hustling to get the check from FedEx. Yeah. It also sounds like you have a very clear sense of what is and is not within like your sphere of influence, because I think that there's something really powerful about, okay, these are the five action steps that like are mine to take in this situation. Like you said, you bubble wrapped it, you got the insurance, right? Like you did whatever tracking you were supposed to do when it was missing, you reported it. Okay. And then what, what are you going to do? Spin your wheels about it? And definitely like there's nothing you can do. And it's like, I, as, as an anxious person, right? 
right? This is me saying this to myself. Like, the only person being hurt by me continuing to, like, ruminate on what's maybe or maybe not going to happen next is me. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. right. That's great. Um, will you tell <laughs> me— Can I, yeah, go can I say go. this? Yeah, yeah. So when—, when I was a little flustered when it was happening, but to your point, I was like, this is where the surrender comes in, right? Like, this is where the trust, and still staying in the trust that whether the check arrived or not, whether my computer arrived or not, I was going to be okay. This was not life or death. I wasn't hanging on the the life by my toenails. Like, this was going to be okay, and it was okay. It was better than okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because whether the check comes or not, what you give yourself through surrender is not having to like lay awake at night and stare at the ceiling about it. Which That's right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um I would love to hear the specifics of your tithing practice. Is it something that you have a like a system around? Is it a set amount per month? Is it more intuitive than that? It's 10%. I just tithe 10% and I tithe it to wherever my spiritual home feels in the moment or wherever I want to. So, so there's an, an Agape, uh, Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles and I tithe to them sometimes. Sometimes I tithe to artists or activists or people who I just want to, to bless and I just send it uh, mysteriously and randomly. But it's it's a consistent practice. Like for me, that, that feels good. And I, I saw somewhere that people are like denouncing tithing. I don't care. It feels good to me because it also is like this act of, I don't have to have it all because more is coming. Mm-hmm. That's to me, it's like more is coming. I'm in the flow. More is, I don't have to hoard it. I'm in this because if money is a currency, which it is, I want to keep the circulation going. I don't have to hoard it. And that feels good to me to mm-hmm. be able to pass it forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I guess maybe because I didn't grow up in a religious context and like tithing in my mind is quite a like religion word. Maybe that's not true, but that was just my association with it that like I think of it as wealth redistribution. Like I also have a system at, you know, I'm currently at 7% of my income every month and would like to get up to 10%. And um, yeah, having, having a system around it actually feels really good for me that it's like a joyful thing every month to be like, this money is, you know, getting redistributed. Like I think about what, what Kelly Deals says about um, like keeping the money flowing in the feminist ecosystem, that it's, you just, yeah, like you, like keep it in flow, send it out there. Mm-hmm. It will come back to you, you know, that it's not about just hoarding it all. Yeah, because there's more than enough, right? Like if my foundational belief is that there's more than enough, there's no need to hoard. There's no need to hoard. Now, I also am not going to get, this is, I, my brain just went somewhere else. I was like, let me give a little context. So like here in Rwanda, I don't have a car, so I take taxis and there's like a, um, they're similar to Uber or Lyft, but they're not that. And so sometimes drivers will try and charged me what they they want to be paid not what the meter is actually saying so i'm not like that generous i'm not going to just give you money because you want to take advantage of me because you think i don't know any better but i will give like lydia your rate your act like if you want to be charged top dollar and you do top dollar work i'm going to pay you your job like Mm -hmm. i'm not going to negotiate with that yeah uh can we talk about manifestation yeah i just feel like that fits in with this um this is another word that I have always felt like a little eye rolly about. And like maybe because of the way that it's been like co-opted by white women in the personal development space online. I don't know. There's like something about manifestation that I 
I don't know, but I respect you and your work and your vision for yourself and the world so much that if anyone can change my mind about what manifestation can be, it's you. Um, maybe we can start with that as a question. Like, why do you think no manifestation pressure. can sometimes get that, like, bad reputation? Like, I can't be the only one who feels oh. eye-rolly about it, right? No. Okay. I'm glad you asked that's the first question because I – I <laughs> Deep sigh. Deep <laughs> your, fa- sigh. your face shows everything right now. Oh my God. <laughs> because even on my YouTube channel, I'm like, okay, I'm reconfiguring what I talk about. But most of my videos, my recent videos are about manifestation. And I, I'm a purist at heart, right? So for me, when I say manifestation, I mean like the pure definition of manifestation. And I think like most things spiritual in the last several years. It has been exploited. It has been misconstrued. It has been taken advantage of. And my eye roll comes from people who have privilege that they're not naming and calling it manifestation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That pisses me off because it's like, is it manifestation or is it white privilege? Is it manifestation or do you just come from wealth? Is it manifestation or did you, are you just pretty? But people don't want to have that conversation. Now, like you said, holding the both and manifestation is real and happening all the time, right? Like, so it's, it's tricky and it's frustrating to me because I want to talk about manifestation, but it similar to money, it comes with so much charge that it's like, when I say manifestation, people hear a lot of other googly gook. That's not actually manifestation, right? Like it's like, it's spiritual bypassing and, and all this other stuff that isn't The reality, and the reality is we're manifesting all the time, that we are plugged in, that we are expressions of the divine. If we, if we are that, then, then we have more personal power than we realize. And then we know, and that we can use that and leverage it to create the realities that we want. Even living in a society that has oppressive, oppressive structures, we can still manifest what we want and manifest the lives that we want to live. And it, like, I, it frustrates me because like, there are some women, for example, that I've seen in the personal development, spiritual da, 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 world who are like manifestation, 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 not naming that their husband makes millions of dollars a year. You know, it's like, let's tell the whole truth if mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, so then maybe you can center us on like your definition, like when you said you operate from a place of pure manifestation, what does that actually mean? Because I feel like I understand what you're saying and also my brain's kind of like, what? Oh, okay. So for me, and, and I don't, I, 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 don't, I, I aspire. I will aspire. Well, I, I mean, I'll say it two different ways. We all are operating from a place of pure manifestation. We, we all are manifesting all the time. It's intentionality and taking 100 complete responsibility for everything in my life, for everything in my life. So that means I manifested, and, and I don't want to get into the, the what's the word, like, um, what's those things when you walk on, landmines? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the landmines of physical health and people, who, children who are, who are born ill. I, I don't know about that. Because I often think if we're manifesting all the time, how did enslavement happen? How did the genocide, how did Holocaust happen? I don't know. I don't have those answers. So don't come for me. But in my own personal Laren experience, I own my energy. And energy is, is a magnet, right? Like energy, we live in a, 
And this is where I'm always hesitant to talk, and I haven't figured out how to be articulate about this because I think, you know, this is where the eye rolls also happen. It's like vibration, frequency, energy, woo-woo, like sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And I'm like, but we, we do live in a vibrational universe. Everything has its own frequency. Everything has its own energy. And so for me, I take responsibility for my thoughts. That's what I do have control over my thoughts. I do have control over my feelings. Those are two things I have control over. And then my actions. But the actions that I take are based on the thoughts that I'm thinking. And so my intention is to be intentional about my thoughts, mm-hmm. which inform how I feel, which inform what I, how I act. That's all I can do. I'll give an example. And this is also, again, in the context of trusting that we live in a universe where all of, we're, we're loved, we're, we're, pro- we're provided, where we're protected. So a few years ago, I had a five-figure client and we did this really powerful three-day retreat and she hired me for like a, I think, $30,000 contract, something like that. And we started the contract and then she ghosted me and she did not finish paying for it. And just was like, ah, I changed my mind. This isn't what I want to do. Which left me high and dry financially because I put all my eggs in her basket. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, because I hadn't set up other streams of income, I ended up sleeping and living in a rental car. Because my apartment in Seattle, I had someone living in it, who was renting it from me. And I was in California now at this point, living in a rental car. Now, would I say I was living in a rent? Did I manifest that? Yes. I did. Yeah, I did. Who else is going to do that? Like, I can't blame her. I didn't set up multiple streams of income. I didn't have enough savings. I didn't manage my money in a way that would take care of me. So, yes, I manifested that. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean she was a bad person. It doesn't mean I was wrong. It doesn't mean she was wrong. It just means that was the reality in that moment. And for me, I had to dig deeper into my soul alignment, deeper into my trust, deeper into my surrender. And so what did that look like? Because I was in Oakland, which is not, you know, the safest place to be sleeping in a car. I had to be, my energy had to be so squeaky clean that when I would say, where am I supposed to sleep tonight? That I listened to divine guidance and would park somewhere safe. So it's not about good and bad, right and wrong. Was that ideal for me? No. It wasn't. I made the best of that situation manifesting safety. To me, it's an incremental step-by-step process that like, it's not about always flying international first-class flights. It's like, what is the reality that you have right now and how can you make the best of it? It's not, woe is me, I'm a victim of life. But it was stressful. That was really a hard, hard moment. And What made it even harder, as I mentioned, I come from a family with means. My uncle owns apartment buildings. My brother has money. And and nobody helped. It was my last straw. And everyone was like, oh, well. So that was also the thing that flipped my switch to be like, oh, Laren, you're living in a car that you don't even own. And, and your family doesn't have your back. You got to figure out how to have money. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you ask, like, if I'm kind of like, you know, know that they have my back, I know that they actually don't. Mm-hmm. This concept of owning your energy, I don't know that I've ever heard it phrased quite like that before, but I feel like that's really powerful. Especially because, like, 
I feel like we're talking about a lot of the nuanced both ands, which is what life is all about. This idea of taking 100% responsibility for yourself and also surrender. Right? Like those seem like they're contradictory, but they're not. They go together. And so this idea of, and maybe this is my like Virgo rising brain that I'm like, give me the spreadsheet, but owning your energy, like what does that actually look like? Or like what are some things that you do in your own practice if you need to change your energy? Or like in that moment where you were like, oh, I believe that I manifested this situation by not doing X, Y, and Z, I would like to raise my vibration, change my energy, whatever the language is that you're going to use, like I feel like I become a deer in headlights at, well, okay, well, then what? Like, but how, though? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. It's a practice is the first thing I can say, because it's also a privilege to be able to think about raising your vibration if you're in survival mode. And so if I'm living in a car, I wasn't really thinking about raising my vibration. I was thinking about how can I stop living in a car? <laughs> that I don't own, that I have to keep paying for, but it also requires a trust. And so that's the practice. It's like building up the reservoir so that I knew that God has my back. Even if I'm living in a car, I'm safe, right? I'm still safe. I'm still protected. I'm still taken care of. And so a friend, my friend at the time was like, you need to reach out. Cause I was being very Taurus son stubborn and was like, I am not asking my family for help. Right. I was like, to turn, cause I was like, they're not going to help me. I just knew. And my friend was like, you need to give them the opportunity to help you. And I said, fine, very reluctantly, but I was living in a car. So against my will, I know it's trendy now to live in your car. I see right. it on living TikTok. in a car, but not in a cute way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not in a cute way at all. And so I was like, fine. So I reached out to them. I told you their responses. I finally, I reached out to my stepfather who was like, oh, had the same response. And I talked to my stepsister and she said, you need to tell him a specific dollar amount that you need. Then he will respond. But he, if you just say you're living in a car, he's not going to do anything. I did. He gave me the money. I was able to get into a hotel and then I was able to, to get resituate it. So it's the both and, right? It's the trusting that my needs are met. It was the willingness to be uncomfortable and ask for what I needed and to receive, to finally, I'm not against receiving. I just knew they weren't going to help me. That's, that's why I didn't want to ask. And then to like take action to change the scenario. I think a lot of people are just waiting for the fairy to come sprinkle fairy dust on them and like the manifestation fairy dust, which as I mentioned with like the FedEx check and some things, it happens that way. But it also has to be about owning your your actions, owning your energy, owning your responsibility. How are you going to show up? I don't know if I answered your question, but I yeah, but, but it's, I don't, again, I don't, these questions don't have answers. I'm just curious about your process, right? This idea, this, just this idea of like changing the energy. It's like, I almost, I mean, the benefit of hearing other people be honest about what's true for them, even if it's a hard to articulate thing is that it brings up something in the listener. Like I'm certainly having my own experience listening to you. I'm sure everyone who's listening is having their own experience. And like what just came up for me, and of course this is me projecting my own stuff, like you didn't say this, but is... I feel like part of raising the energy for me would be not attaching my own like self-worth or lovability to like the answer, 
right? Like you ask for this assistance, you take the action, and part of the maybe trusting that something bigger has your back, that I'm not going to make it mean anything about my worth if if a bad thing happens to me or um, if somebody says no. And like, it's really easy to flatten that out. And, you know, I, I'm living in a car, so therefore I'm a bad person or I did something wrong or that, I know there's like some tie in there of like just a greater sense of enoughness or being cared for. Absolutely. Because my value doesn't come from another human being. That's the, I mean, that's, no human can determine my value. No human made me, even if my parents created me and birthed me into the world and raised me, they didn't make me. So they can't put a value on my worth and their, their behavior cannot determine my worth. I mean, that has taken, I mean, that's who, who I am at a base nature, but unhooking from those golden handcuffs that I mentioned earlier is part of that process, right? Like, because then I have to be informed of my own worth, whether I'm sleeping in a rental car or flying, paying $3,500 for a first-class flight. None of it determines my value. And, and we know people, or I've seen them on the socials, right, who think that the $3,500 first-class flight or the Fendi bag or the product, whatever, makes them valuable. Or not having it doesn't make them valuable. And it's like, when you know who you are in God, when you know who you are in source, when you know who you are in creation... None of that matters because it's all made up anyway. Mm-hmm. So they can ask, they can, I mean, they can give me the money, they can not give me the money, but it's not a reflection of my value because I know that my value, who I am outside of any of these man-made institutions, it, I mean, or constructions, you know, like if I were looking to the world to define who I am and to put a marker on me, I, I would be lost in the sauce especially because when I think in the context of my, my ancestors actually were bought and sold. They actually did have a number value on their head, right? So this society is fucked up and warped. There's no way I can outsource my sense of value to this society. Mm-hmm. Right, that your ancestors were the capital in capitalism. Period, mm-hmm. exactly. So we know it's warped. Right. We know it's distorted. So there's no way that I can like make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I have to calibrate to something higher than that and bigger than that and trust that it is responsible for what comes and how it comes. And I just have to be in alignment with that. Mm -hmm. Are you someone who sets financial goals? Mm, I have financial big goals, like multi-million dollars, but anything that I try to make it more tangible and tactile than that feels like suffocation to me. So I don't know. That's interesting. It feels like suffocation. Why? Because it feels like something I have to achieve as opposed to something I get to allow. Yeah. Okay, then maybe you're not going to have an answer to this, but, you know, the big question we're exploring in this podcast series, how much money is enough for you? Is there a clear dollar amount that you're like, this is how much money per month feels like enough or abundance or whatever it is that you're looking to feel? No, I don't have a number. I, I don't have a number, but I'll tell you what I enjoy. I just like making money every day. Okay. I like having sales come in every day. It doesn't have to be big sales. It doesn't have to be small sales. It just, I like money. I like being in the flow of that kind of circulation. That feels like 
abundance to me. And I like having money in the bank. I like having money in the bank and money coming in every day. That feels really good to me. And I like knowing that people want what I have to offer. That feels also feels really good to me. That feels really good to me too because that gives me almost more of a sense of security than a dollar amount does because feeling like people want what I have to offer makes me feel like if I need more money, I can create a new offering and people are going to want it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one more kind of specific money question. And again, maybe you don't have an answer to this. When you said you like having money in the bank, like, is there an amount where if it dips below that, you feel anxious? Yeah. But then it has dipped below that. So then I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to feel anxious because I thought, oh, because as I mentioned, I, you know, my contract, I haven't worked since November, right? So it's July now. I haven't generated income because I've been, my contract ended and then I've been building out the brand. And so I was like, when I get to this certain amount, I'm going to stress out. I just know it. And then that amount came and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to stress because I still got to eat. I still got to do things. I still have to, you know, I'm not going to stress out. I'm just going to do what I have to do uh, to stay in the flow and keep generating money. And I, and I want to be intentional because I know I keep saying words that feel intangible, like flow and abundance and all. But I don't mean like, just like hope and pray that someone hires me. Like I still mean doing all the things, but not being attached emotionally to them, not allowing myself to stress out or feel overwhelmed. And maybe that means, okay, I'm not going to go get my weekly massages until I feel a little bit more financial stability. Okay. Mm -hmm. Until I make a little bit more money. Like I don't have to do every single thing, but I would rather uh, not do things than feel stressed. Yeah, so it's more of like a you're making adjustments based on, you know, where you're currently at, yeah, which makes makes a lot of sense. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you really want to mention, even if it's like a complete left turn? Hmm. There is something that I do talk about, and I kind of touched on it, which is what I call the black money wound. Because it is specific. It is when your ancestors were traded for capital, as capital, that it's a very different relationship to money and abundance epigenetically, right? It was passed down in our genes. It's a very different, when you see your children bought and sold for money, your relationship to money is going to be different than when you buy and sell, right? Like it's just gonna be different. There's a different level of trauma And it doesn't mean that abundance doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that uh, abundance isn't the lay of the land, that God isn't conspiring in our favor. It doesn't mean all these universal laws aren't true. It just means we have to have a more nuanced conversation about it because we can't do these broad strokes and not acknowledge the trauma that we're carrying in our bodies and our conversations and our sense of value and our sense of worthiness um, that really will start to shift things. It's a a complicated and, and very layered thing. But if we don't name it and just try and skirt past it and pretend it's not happening, I think it does more harm than good because then we're still reliant on the rules of capitalism to set us free. And capitalism will never set us free. Mm -hmm. How does what you just shared impact what it is that you want to do with Black Girl Mystic? I want to give a place to hold all of it because I have friends and, and maybe... Now that we're real, real full-grown adults, they don't feel like this anymore. But in my 20s and 30s, I had a lot of 
friends who were very Afrocentric or very Black-centered who were like really into bartering, really like really into it. I, I was not really into it because I'm like, nobody that I have to pay bills to barters. So that's not my you're not, thing. You're not bartering for a first class ticket. You're like, that doesn't work no. for me. Yeah. <laughs> or rent or food or anything. And so I think there's this pride around not needing money or being will, like wanting to barter or wanting to like uh, circumvent cap money. And, and, and I think that has its place and it can have its place. But to your point earlier, we still live in a capitalist economy. So even if you're getting donations because you don't want to barter, because you don't want to charge money, somebody had to work inside of the capitalist system to get money to donate to you. So I want to, with Black Girl Mystic, it's really creating a space to hold all of it because it's like, you don't have to live hand to mouth and barter and not have any money to spend and not like create a life of whatever feels good to you. It may not be first class flights. It may be something totally, you may want to buy 50 acres of land where you can grow your own food and not have to be in the urban sprawl, whatever it Mm is. I want to create a space where you can hold for all of that and where there's no shame and judgment, but you can live luxurious lives of wealth, ease, and freedom and miracles, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, as when I gave that example around 50 acres of land, I had an example of some friends of mine who have, I don't even know how many acres, but they have acres and acres of land in upstate New York. This is, we all used to go to a festival together every summer. This is how we all met. And she, my friend was standing in line at the food line at this festival and was just made friends with the person behind her. Long story short, she was like, just gave her these acres of land. And now they have this farm in upstate New York that centers black and indigenous and people of color farming, returning to the land. So this is what miracles happen every single day. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's really being available. But if she wasn't in the receptive, if she wasn't open, if she wasn't available, she hadn't turned around and had that conversation and said, this is my dream and this is what I'm working on and this is what I'm creating. She would not have resonated with that other person who had the land who was like, I got all this land. I'm not doing anything with it. I would love to give it to you. Literally was that simple of a conversation Mm -hmm. and that's how it happened. So that circumvents capitalism. Yeah, it's like the manifestation outside of capitalism that you've talked about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a both yeah. and. Yeah. Oof, that's so good. I feel like that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, if you could leave our listeners with one affirmation of sorts based on our conversation, basically, like, what is your wish for everyone listening? To trust the process. Oh, even better. This is even better. This is even better. How you know if you're in alignment with your soul, with your source, your divine, is if you feel good. That's it. My God. That's so good. I said we were going to wrap up, but we're actually going to talk about this a little bit for a second because something that was on my mind on my morning walk this morning, knowing that we were going to talk, um, like obviously you talk in your work about, you know, this idea of kind of a soul guidance, soul alignment, soul purpose. And something that I have struggled with is feeling, I don't know, shame around like, 
not knowing what my one clear purpose is, right? Like there's something about that that feels like really pressury for me. And maybe that's the way that this idea of having one thing has been co-opted by capitalism, that it's like, it has to be your one thing and it has to be profitable in these ways. Like, I don't know that we're going to unpack all of this right now, but what you just said of you are in alignment when it feels good, that is the exact affirmation that I did not know that I needed. So that's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. It's true. It's like we have to really unlearn so much bullshit. We just do. Like there is, because what if your one thing is just to be? That's it. Not to achieve, not to accomplish, not to do. And then it can look like running. It can look like, it can look like all the things that you do. Your whole world is what your purpose is, mm-hmm. is to be an expression. Yeah, if we, if we take this idea of purpose away from it has to be the thing that generates enough money to get our needs met. Okay, so I'm glad you said that. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> People can see you. You have just whipped your glasses off. You're ready? <laughs> yeah, class is in session. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> this is what I used to say in all my classes, especially because I have a class around purpose. And people would be like, I need to know what my purpose is. I need to make money for my purpose. And I want to start a business for my purpose. What's my purpose? And this is why I always say, and I'm glad you said that, God is not a capitalist. Your purpose does not have to make money. You were created with a purpose that has nothing to do with income. God is not a socialist. God is not a communist. God is not a, it's, it's, not, it's not based in an economic system. Mm-hmm. So your purpose has no economic tie to it. Now you can make money being yourself, but it's not your purpose. Because what if you were born 7,000 years ago? You wouldn't have to try and make a side hustle as you were walking the savannah. You know what right. I mean? It would just, it wouldn't... <laughs> It wouldn't, it wouldn't even make sense. It wouldn't, it would be no context for it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to take off the pressure of, and like you said, like the purpose can be to just exist. Like I've been thinking about this, this could be a whole other conversation, but I've been thinking a lot lately about what I call soft ambition that like, I don't want kids. I don't want a big career. Like a lot of the things that we're kind of supposed to want or supposed to strive for, I don't. And there's little to no roadmap for that and what does it mean to want things but not want them with your whole heart or not being willing to do whatever it takes, right? And existing in this place of like softness and joy and doing things just because it feels good to do them, even if they don't lead anywhere, even if they can't be monetized. And I will tell you, Lauren, it is so uncomfortable. Like this is, it's like the opposite of everything that I've ever been told. And I'm like, is this okay? It's like, feels like a fun little playground to experiment in that I'm sure, you know, over the next year or so I'll have more to say about it. But yeah, there's something very permission giving about remembering that the purpose is bigger than capitalism. Totally. Because what you just named is, is it right? Like if it gets to be fun, if it gets to be playful, because I would say that it's just about being in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like you just get to enjoy that moment, whatever's coming up for you, you get to enjoy it. You get to live in it. And there's more than enough. The right clients come at the right time. The right experiences happen and you get to enjoy your life. But it is contrary to everything we've been taught in capitalism. The Mm -hmm. the idea that we ask five-year-old children what they want to be when they grow up is an example of this brainwashing, right? Like, we don't even know the possibilities, not that they have to be anything, right? They could just, but it's like, it's not, I don't think it's as much about what you're doing, but how you're experiencing it while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, 
when you have you driven and, and paid a toll collector who just seems to be having the best life in the whole world and just enjoying every single person who comes through? And you're like, you're a toll collector? Like this, this isn't a glamorous job. This isn't. And then you meet people who have like super glamorous jobs and are like seem to be so miserable. It's, it's not about the what, it's about the how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to uh, give the right credits. I don't remember who it was, but when you just said that about asking five-year-olds what they want to be, I saw some tweet, I don't know, some manner of months ago that was like, you know, don't ask me about my dream job. I don't have a dream job. I don't dream of labor. It was like something exactly. like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whew. Okay, so the affirmation for everyone listening, the sole purpose, it feels you know it when it feels good when you're doing it. <laughs> totally. And the both end of this is I am also a very ambitious person. I love to work. I love to work hard. I also love, I take a 90-minute nap every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the both end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's an interesting place for me to be in of I am one of, you know, what people would say are the lucky ones who does love what they do. Like, there is no, I had this realization at the end of last year, there is no aspect of my job that I don't like. Because if there's a part of it that I don't like, I don't do it anymore. And that comes from a long time of being self-employed. And I feel incredibly grateful for that. And I love making things that feel good to make. And I don't have, like, big career ambitions. I'm not trying to get on some, like, prestigious media list or and I say that like judgment free. If that is someone's dream and that feels good, that's great. But it's not true for me. And trying to pretend that it is or pretending that I want to climb that ladder forever, like that wouldn't be authentic to me. Like I just want to make things that feel good to make for and with like communities of like-minded people forever and have that hopefully like give me the resources that I need. And it doesn't have to like go anywhere. I don't need like career progression in that way. And that has actually been as freeing as it is scary. Yeah. I mean, it's, can we stay here for a moment? Can I? Yes. Can we? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's, this is why it's complicated, right? Because inside of this context of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy that we live in, especially in the United States, we know that being able to do what you want to do is a privilege, right? It, it is. So like, I think about the fact that my great grandparents had graduate degrees and master's degrees and founded a school and were in agriculture and did all this stuff and, you know, educated the next generations and all. Maybe they wanted to do other things. I don't know. They didn't have that kind of wiggle room, right? Then I think about my grandmother, who's the child of those grandparents, great-grandparents, and was also a teacher. Now, this is going to go a little, but we're going to come back. Is that all? Yeah, go for it. Okay, okay. So my grandmother was also a school teacher in the segregated South in Texas, second generation school teacher. And the superintendent, who was a white man, asked my grandmother, do, what do you think about segregation or, or integration? And she said, I think colored children should have the same access to, to education as white children. That's what she said, because my grandma's a truth teller. She's a Scorpio. She tells the truth. She lost her job and had to move four hours away to the next uh, school district that was going to hire her. That means she split up the family. My, grandma, my mother ended up being raised by her great-grandparents. She took my mother and her older brother, and her younger brother went to live with my mother. That created a severe abandonment issues for my mother. Severe, which she's still dealing with to this day. So I say that story to say... 
yes, it was a privilege. My grandmother said what she wanted to say. She told the truth. Mm-hmm. She, but it had severe consequences for her, for my family that have rippled for generations. And so I, I just want to name that because it's like we get to make whatever choices we want to make. We get to decide how we want to live, what we want to say, what we don't want to say. And sometimes there are some costs and sometimes there are benefits and sometimes there are both, right? Mm-hmm. Often there, mm-hmm. there, there are both. And so as we start thinking, as I'm naming, we talked about freedom. It's like, it's not always cut and dry. It's not always, like I get to take an hour and a half naps and do this thing, but there may, are there other ways I could be hustling and grinding and making money and, and doing maybe, right? Like if my grandma had kept her mouth shut, would the family had stayed together? Yeah. Would she have had her dignity, her dignity? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's well, yeah, weird. I mean, there's, of course, there's, there's consequences. I mean, consequences sounds like a negative word, but like there, you, you make a decision, you take an action and then something happens next. Right. And like, I think a lot about, you know, the, Sacrifice also sounds like quite a negative word, but at, like for the most part, I feel like we can't have all of the things. You know, there's some choices you can't make both choices at the same. You can't have kids and not have kids, right? Like there's like you're, you're making choices and it's, you know, for me to be able to say finally that there's no aspect of my business that I don't like, like that has been a consequence of continuing to choose creative autonomy and time freedom over really good health insurance over Mm. access to a 401k. And like, I'm now in the phase of kind of not unlearning the starving artist thing because I've come like pretty far on that, but like really paying attention to the ways that I believed it was a binary in the past, that it's like, I can have time freedom, but I have to struggle financially because that's like, that's the like trade-off that I have to make. I'm allowed to have time freedom as long as I suffer in these specific ways. And so like now Mm. I'm kind of like, no, what if that didn't have to be true? But there definitely were forks in the road of I am going to choose to be able to spend my time the way that I want, even if it means that I'm going to live in my van for three years, even if it means that I'm going to like sleep on an air mattress in someone else's living room. And like to other people, that would not have been worth it. And I do not regret it one single time. And that's kind of what comes up for me when you talk about soul guidance or like maybe soul alignment is like it felt better than the alternative and there was never a question about that for me. And so like I'm willing to do that and I know plenty of people that aren't. Like the more security, the more secure path is more worth it to them and that's great. You know, we're not making the same choices. Totally. My my theory that I'm living into an experiment, because it's all an experiment. We don't know nothing. We just trying to right. figure it's like it out. All of this is real and nonsense. We don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Two things. Exactly. So my theory is that you get to have it all and it gets to be easy. So then I'm like, how can I make that true? Mm. How can I make that true? If I get to have it all and it gets to be easy, how can I make that true? That's the one thing. And the other thing, and you said it's all nonsense. Exactly. So then I'm like, if it's all nonsense, what nonsense do I want to choose? And that's answer number one. Because I'm like, I don't want to choose that you have to struggle and sacrifice and scrimp and save to live. No, I want to choose that you get to have it all and it gets to be easy. And how can that be true? And, and that is like, just show me, God. Show me. You show out for me. You just mm-hmm. show me what you can do. Razzle dazzle me. Because yeah. I don't want to have to figure it out. No, that's brilliant. And also it like really puts front and center for like for me to 
be honest about the places where I'm creating fake problems for myself. Because obviously, yes, of course, some things are circumstantial. Some things are systems of oppression. Like, as you said, you're not, you're not believing in manifestation to the point that that explains how enslavement happened, right? Like there is a whole other part of this, but on just like that really, really micro level, if I'm deciding what if this were easy, as you're saying, it like does bring some things like into visibility of why am I making this so hard? I'm like, because I think making it harder makes me seem more worthy or that I like deserve it more. I don't know. There's just like a lot of stuff there that leading with this, I get to have it all and it gets to be easy. I've certainly never really tried that. So it's all an experiment. I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Exactly. And it gets to be easy. So it can be a fun, easy experiment. Uh, Yeah, I feel like my current, this isn't a worldview, but like either mantra or thing is like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm just actually going to die. And, like, sometimes I'll catch myself when I'm, like, really in the comparison trap of, like, someone else's Instagram, which doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. But, like, I'll stop myself and be like, Nicole, you're going to die. And you are right now is what you want to do with your life. Spend it feeling bad on Instagram. Like, you're gonna, you're actually just going to die. Like, go bake a cake or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, it helps. It really does help. Exactly. That I love. I've been thinking about that, too. And it from, I used to think about that a lot when I was younger because I had a lot of people die when I was younger and it freaked me out. But now I'm thinking about it because time feels like it's going by really fast. Like in a day, I'll look up and I'll be like, how is it this time? But, but I think about it and I'm like, you're going to die. What do you, how do you want to spend this? How do you want to think about this time? How do you want to be present to your life? Mm-hmm. Do you want to? And that's why the ease, when, I, when you ask me about ease, it's like how I think about things what I allow myself to do. I, I do enjoy first class. If I did not fly first class, it would take a little bit more umph for me to enjoy it, but I could do it. You know, it's like, how do, I'm not going to beat myself up for it, right? Like, it's just the conversations you have with, I heard this years ago and it stuck with me. The conversations you have with yourself about yourself when you're by yourself are the most important conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's so that's so true. And like this this I'm gonna die thing is actually sort of how this soft ambition realization came up because I realized I had been like really indoctrinated in the online business where it's not just online business, but it's like what's the legacy you're leaving, right? Like what do you want a bit? And I was like, I'm gonna be dead. What do I care? Like I, <laughs> which again, not I please no one listening if the, if that is something you care about. Like I am not trying to belittle that as a dream, but I actually don't care. Like, I will be dead if nothing that I ever create outlives me. Like, what I want, like you said, is to know that it matters to someone now. I want to be in these relationships now. I want to have, like, relational reciprocity now. I want to, like, lay on the couch and read a fun book. I'm in a phase of no self-help books right now. Like, no, like just just for fun. Like, I don't, I don't need to improve myself constantly. I don't, I'm not, like, a project to be fixed. And, like, what if it were enough to enjoy my life and, like— take whatever steps I can to make sure that as many people as possible can also enjoy theirs, right? Like, that's enough. That's it. That's, I mean, that's really all there is. That's, that's it. You just, you just revealed the Holy Grail. Like, that's it. That's, <laughs> we've solved it. We've solved we the secrets of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, it. Soul's like, purpose is to feel good. Yes. Liberation for everyone. First, sneak into first class. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> that's it. I mean, literally that's, that's the kit and caboodle. I, I, when you say you're gonna, I'm going to die, it's true. I think about, I had so, even though I grew up in this community with all this 
black wealth and upward mobility and all this stuff. I was always the rogue outlier. I was always the one who was there like, that's just Laren. She's going to go to France. She's going to do her thing. Everyone else is very conventional. And now, in 2022, very conventionally successful. All of the peers I grew up with have master's degrees, PhDs, JDs, MDs, right? Like MBAs, all of them. I'm the only one who only has one degree and is an entrepreneur. The only one. Everyone else is very conventional. And when we were, you know, becoming adults, I got so much judgment. They actually kind of excommunicated me in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like they were like, you, you are not one of us. You, we are the same. One of these things just doesn't belong here. And now that we're adults, so many of them are like, how are you, how are you living abroad? How are you traveling? You have your own business? You know, like sneakily coming back into my, my communication, even though they, totally exiled me for so, for so long. And I think that, because I've always been like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who else's rules am I going to live Same. by? Yeah, that, I feel like that's the point of like affinity that I feel with you the most and always have, that it's like, well, might as well just do <laughs> what I'm going to take the path that I want to take because otherwise I'm going to be the one who's like trying to creep into other people's DMs to ask them how they're doing their life because I didn't do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Hello. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. You're the best. I could literally talk to you all day. Um, anything else you want to share before we Thank you for out? having me. I love our conversations always. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This is invigorating and lights me up. Thank you for me having too. me. me Listeners, too. thanks for listening. Uh, what's the best place for people to say hi if people are like, we want to check out this gorgeous website, we would like to throw money at you, or just say hello. At wh- where, where do you want to be found on the internet? Yes, come find me at blackgirlmystic.com. I'm obsessed with the website. I'm totally in love with it. You can also find me at Laren Alta, L-E-R-I-N, on Instagram or blackgirlmystic on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I will put links to those things in the show notes. Also want to give a shout out to your entire archive of podcast episodes that are so good. You are such a phenomenal podcast host. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. The podcast has started it all. Yes, love it. Uh, Relatable. (laughs) Very relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Pop-Up Pod. There are a few awesome and super helpful ways that you can support our show if you've got a few minutes to do that. Five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts are so sincerely appreciated. It helps new listeners to see how much other people love the show. Writing a one-to-two-sentence review to go along with your rating is even better. Uh, This is the kind of thing that I always tell myself that I'm going to do for the podcasts that I love, and then inevitably I forget. So I am trying to get in the habit of doing this for myself because even as a podcast host, like knowing how grateful I am for every single review that this show gets, I still find myself forgetting or procrastinating on doing it for others. So perhaps we can do it together. You will do it. I will do it. We We will just shower podcast reviews down on all the shows that we love. 
The third way to support the show, let's talk money. It's very meta, I know, with this you know theme of the season. But all of the intimate and honest conversations here on the Pop-Up Pod are 100% listener-funded. So that means that they're paid for by our sliding-scale Patreon community. There's no ads. There's no sponsors. It's just a couple hundred people coming together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That's me as the host, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. Our Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod. And if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community at NicoleAntoinette.com slash Patreon. That's the page of my website that answers all of your questions. What the heck is Patreon? How does it work? Why do we use it? What bonus content do you get access to? What can you expect when you join? All that good stuff. And remember, it's run on a sliding scale, so you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you. So one more time, it's NicoleAntoinette.com slash Patreon. You can come check us out for a month or two, cancel whenever you want, stay for years. You know, It's really flexible. Uh, it would really help support the show. And you can see what we're all about and meet some of the people in our community. Okay, friends, until next time. 